Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. So I have a question for you today. Does Jesus really come first in your life? And I think if we start here today and we, we took a survey and polled most and said, Should, is Jesus supposed to come first in a Christian's life? Most of us would say, yeah, sure, sure. But the question we need to answer is, does he really come first? Or, or are we giving God our leftovers? And we began a sermon series a couple of weeks ago entitled The Deadly Exchange. And we were looking at the, where the prophet Jeremiah uh, talked about how God was astonished. And we understand God's never surprised. We know that. But nonetheless, he communicates. This is something to be astonished about what his people were doing. And he said this. God said, my people have committed two evils. And every time they sin, they're really committing two evils. And the first one is this, that they have forsaken me, God says. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And the idea is this, this plentiful, fresh, cool, pure spring in the middle of a desert land. And for some reason, they've turned away from that. And instead, he says, and they've hewn out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so here they are with God saying, look, I've provided everything they could ever need, everything they could ever want. I, I provide full satisfaction for those who come to me. And yet he says, my people, those who have, have you know, turned to me, who have been forgiven, who I've given life to, for some reason, when they sin, they turn away from that and turn to these broken, by the way, cistern is just a place to try to hold water. And he says, the cisterns that they make for themselves won't even hold water. And so anything you can think about that would be a sin, anything that would go against what God has said in the Bible. And by the way, when God tells us what's in the, uh, in the Bible about how we ought to be living and, and some things get labeled as sin, the reason is, is because they aren't good for us. They're bad for us. And so he tells us, don't do those things. And so anytime, and whatever comes to your mind right now when you think of sin, just, just get it, that that is people turning away from what God has for them to, to something that is so much less and, and can't meet the needs, won't do what they think it's going to do. It's deceptive and it's destructive. And so we began focusing in on this, this whole idea of what sin is, what it does, and, and how things go in our lives. And, and we, the first week we saw that here's the problem with sin. The problem with sin, in fact, why don't you read it with me, okay? The problem with sin, it turns me away from what's absolutely best for me in exchange for what's absolutely worse for me, all right? And so God's ways are always what's best for me, and when I turn away from those, it's always worse for me. Now, are we logical people here today? Some of you are going, I don't know. I don't know about him or her. But that doesn't make sense, does it? To turn away from what's absolutely best in exchange for what's absolutely worse. Doesn't even make sense. And yet, we have done this. And we, we talked about the true nature of sin, that it is deceptive, that it is destructive. And when you want to compare it to God's ways, well, there really is no comparison. 
And then last week we talked about the idea that when we think of sin and we, we got this list of sins in our mind or we know many things the Bible says and we hear new things, okay, sins, we, oh, we see those, okay, I see those. But we talked about the deceptive nature of sin in such a way that it creeps in in ways we don't know. Remember we talked about the rich young ruler last week who had uh, loved his riches and his riches which were a good thing. I mean, like I said, I'd rather be rich than poor whenever I got the choice. Riches which were a good thing now we're preventing him from following the Lord. And we said, this is what can happen in our lives. And we talked about this, so let's look at that. And let's read this one together here as well. Ready? Good things become bad things when they keep us from the best thing, following the Lord. Okay? And so they did deception. Today what we want to talk about is this. How do we avoid those things from the very beginning? How do we avoid the sin? And how do we avoid having those good things become bad things and, and keep us from following the Lord like what? How do we prevent those things? What can we believe and do to avoid those devastating consequences in our lives? How do we not let sin creep in where that good thing becomes a bad thing and prevents us from following the Lord? So let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there's Bibles in the pew there. And we're going to be on, start on page 1352. Page 1352. We really encourage you to follow along with us. 1 Corinthians. No. <laughs> Am I the only person whose brain does those kinds of things? Somebody just said yes. I... Oh, well, then I'm unique. Okay, I'll go with that. Colossians chapter 1. And in this book, the Apostle Paul's writing a letter to the Christians in the city of Colossae. And really what he's challenging them about is they were uh, starting to think that other things were more important than Christ, that they needed other things besides Christ, that Christ wasn't sufficient. He, and so he he's begins his letter talking about Christ and what he's done and, and what he will do for us. So follow along as I begin reading in verse number nine. Again, page 1352 in the Bible is there in the pew. Verse number nine, Paul says, for this reason, he's already talking about their hope in heaven. He says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I'm praying for you that you'll, you'll see and understand and know what, what God's will and his ways are. Verse 10, why? That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So your life's making a difference, right? You're fruitful. This is good. It's positive. You're growing in your knowledge. And he continues, verse 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power <clears throat> for all patience and long-suffering with joy. So strong and, and our character's changing. We're becoming patient. We're experiencing joy. And it produces this in us, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now, uh, I really love that statement, and we're going to continue here, but I just want to stop for a moment. 
The Bible is quite clear that our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose to disobey God. And it brought what we call the curse of sin into the world. And they died spiritually at that point and needed God to restore the relationship. And he did with them. But what happened is every human being born ever since, except for Jesus, who was miraculously conceived, every human born, being born since then has been born spiritually dead to God. Innocent in the sense that they don't know, they haven't sinned, you know, they don't know and they aren't consciously choosing to disobey God, but they're dead to him. And because we're all born dead to him, then we act dead to him. And we let self govern our lives. And then we go against what God has said in his word. What's right? We know we're selfish. We aren't loving. We're, we're impatient, not patient. We're mean. We're not kind. And not all the time, but this is what we do. And it disqualifies us to have a relationship with God. In other words, if... if if I were to find myself dying and standing before God, and, and it won't happen like this, okay, but if I were able to stand there and have a conversation with God and God were to say, before I trusted Christ, he says, so what qualifies you to be here? And I start trying to tell him all these good things I've done and all the, the bad things I chose not to do and all this kind of stuff. He, he says, well, let me read you the qualifications. Be perfect like me. Ain't none of us qualified, are we? Okay, so we, we are in a world of hurt. If we die in that condition, we're guilty before God, we get the condemnation in hell, what the Bible says. But what do we just read? That in Jesus, because what Jesus has done, we can give thanks to the Father who has done what? What's he done? What's it say? Verse number 12 giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. That's right, we aren't qualified, but Jesus was. He was perfect. He was God in the flesh. He, he, he died and, and paid penalty for our sins. And if we will receive Christ as Savior, you know, we realize, man, I have sinned against God. It has separated me from Him. I am destined for hell because I'm not perfect. I can't measure up. I never measure up. It's too late to measure up. I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to throw myself on his mercy. I'm going to receive Christ as my Savior. And the Bible says when that happens, that he forgives every sin. He clears the slate. And not every sin just in the past, but every sin we ever have or ever will commit, he has paid for. He's made us righteous and holy. I mean, he has qualified us for heaven. Now, this isn't really part of the message. I don't know why I'm doing this, except I feel the Lord, I, I need to. Does that mean that we now get it right and perfect every time after we receive Christ? No, there's so much junk in here, right? And so much junk in my heart that has to be worked out. And that's the process of Christian growth. But he's already qualified us. So something to give thanks for. Okay, a little bit of a sidetrack there. Verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So we were over here under the control of sin and death and, and the Roman where Satan works. But when we received Christ as Savior, God literally moved us out of that kingdom and into His kingdom, free from those things. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. I already talked about that. Okay, all of these things that he's done and will do in our lives, amazing, awesome things. And, and then he starts to talk about who Jesus really is. And he says this, he 
is the image of the invisible God. In other words, we, we can't see God. We don't know what he's like. So he became a man so we could see what he would be like. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In the Bible, firstborn means rank. He's the first over all. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Listen, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And as he holds it all together. If he didn't, it'd just go. Who are we dealing with here? And he is the head of the body, the church. So he's the head of the church. And describes him. Who is the beginning? Again, the firstborn from the dead, the first to rise from the dead, like we will one day. And it says this, that in all things, he may have the preeminence. You need to know these things. You need to know who he is. You need to know what it means because he should rightfully have the preeminence. Now, and when it says preeminence, what does preeminence mean? Well, we look up the word eminence and, and it means uh, fame or recognized superiority. Someone who has eminence, is famous or has, is recognized as superior in a particular sphere of life. But it doesn't say here that he's eminent, does it? It says he is to be what? Preeminent. That pre means before all others, before all else. Preeminent means it deals with the fact of surpassing all others and in which sphere of life? All. That in, what does it look at? What does it say in the Bible there? That in. All things he might have, the preeminence. Every area of life, he is to be number one. So let's sum it up nice and simple here. Jesus comes first. Okay? Jesus comes first. That's what the Bible's telling us. He is over all, should be over all, and needs to be over all in our lives. Jesus comes first. This is how God designed things to operate. All of creation, all the way life works, it's all intended to operate with Jesus at the top. That's the way it's designed by God. Jesus comes first as the way it's supposed to be. And so the question that, that you and I need to answer today and every day, really, if Jesus is supposed to come first, does he? Does he really come first in my life? So let me ask you directly here. Does Jesus come first in your life? In all things? Every area of life? Does he really come first? Because this is the way God designed everything to work, with Jesus in first place. And so when Jesus does come first in your life, uh, and when you, you know, everything else then can find its rightful place. When you put Jesus first, then everything else can find where it belongs. Your priorities, your relationships, your family, your money, possessions, careers, location, recreation, whatever else you want to add to the list, your future plans, all of these things can find their rightful, healthy place in your life when Jesus comes first. 
But when Jesus doesn't come first, nothing else is right. Everything else is out of place because God didn't design it to work that way. And so understand this. If you don't put Jesus first, listen. If you don't put Jesus first, it doesn't matter where you put him. Because first is where he's supposed to be. You try to put him in second, that's not where, and everything's going to be messed up. Third, fourth, leave him out. Doesn't matter if you aren't putting him first. So don't feel good about yourself to say, well, I got Jesus in second or third. Not the way it's supposed to be, that in all things, he should have the preeminence. You know, I think about this idea of the only first place. And the analogies, analogies always have some sort of breakdown, but you'll get the point. There's only really one place in your car that you can put your gasoline and have the car run, right? I mean, you can fill up the back seat, <laughs> maybe the glove box. The trunk might be close, right? How about it's a, a hot engine? Let's put the gas on top of the engine. I mean, it doesn't work, right? That car eventually is not going to run unless you're putting the gas in the gas tank. So your life is eventually going to become a wreck if you don't keep working to put Jesus where he belongs, first in your life. Jesus comes first. That's the way it's supposed to be. And you need to align your life to it. So let's, let's change this from Jesus comes first to put Jesus first. This is what we need to do, all right? Put Jesus first. It matters. Now, just from this passage that we read, I'm just gonna, I've gone back here and just kind of thought about what do these things mean in our lives? What do they look like? And the only way they're going to happen is if we put Jesus first. So let me, let me go through this list with you, and, and I want you to respond with what it says there. Put Jesus first, okay? Like out loud, respond. If you want to avoid sin and its consequences, if you want to prevent good things in your life from becoming bad things, Jesus first. If you want to see the world the way it really is so you can make wise decisions. Now, don't get tired here. Hang in there. If you want to please God with the way you think and the way you live. If you want to feel secure in life, put Jesus first. If you want to live a life that really matters and makes a difference, put Jesus first. If you want your relationships to grow in the right direction and get better, put Jesus first. Now, hang in there. We're more than halfway through the list. Okay? If you want to experience real inner strength when the unexpected hardships of life happen, put Jesus first. If you want to develop good, godly character and be a blessing to other people, put Jesus first. If you want to experience life in a way that makes you joyful and grateful, put Jesus first. If you want to live with an awareness of the amazing things God has done for you, put Jesus first. One more, and let's just say it like we mean it here. If you want to be glad the day you arrive in heaven and be blessed for all eternity, now is the time to put Jesus first. That's right, okay? And so we get... We get... The idea, I mean, I think it's pretty clear intellectually to us. 
But like so many sermons can be, you can come in and say, okay, that's nice. I don't have a clue how to do that. So how do we do it? How do we put Jesus first? There's probably, you know, many, many things we could talk about that would be of health. But I just want to give you just real quickly three very practical steps that you can take that will help you to put Jesus first in your life. And the first one is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You don't have to turn there, but you're familiar with it. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is reasonable service. So pre present your whole being here to God. I am yours, I'm a living sacrifice. Just like in the Old Testament when they sacrifice an animal, that animal went to the sacrifice and it was a done deal, it's never coming back. God says, I want you to have the same kind of idea, but I want you to live for me. So the first thing is this, you, you genuinely need to surrender to God about this issue. God, I do surrender to you. Jesus is supposed to be first in my life. I, I surrender to that and to whatever it takes for that to become a reality. I, I say yes to you in that. So that's the first practical step. You gotta say, okay, God, all right. The, and the second one is found in verse number two of Romans 12. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so this idea is, let's, once we say to God, okay, I need to change, now we need to cooperate with God and let him change our minds. Let him change the way we think. Let him change the way we see things because it's gonna change all the decisions we make in life and how we evaluate what's going on. And we're saying, okay, we want Jesus first. What does that mean? And we start to see life in a way, oh, I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm being changed. I'm starting to see it and, and God will change us. Oh man, aren't you so glad that God doesn't leave us alone to figure it out on our own? He'll help us, he'll change us. And then the third thing is found in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And here's the phrase, in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And so the third thing is that we need to sort of develop a habit of learning to look at our ways. By all our ways, it means everything that we do, the reasons why we do them, the things that we don't do, the reasons why we don't do them, trying to acknowledge him, trying to consciously give him first place in all of our ways. And when we do, he said he's going to direct us. He's going to lead us along in life. Good thing. And by the way, this is a process, isn't it? Do you get that? This isn't a, an arrival thing. This is a process. And, and so it's not about, I gotta get this perfect. No, uh, when you drive down the interstate, and let's assume it isn't crazy Massachusetts traffic, you're just driving down the lane. You have to make little corrections all the time, don't you? In fact, you, you, you don't even think about it anymore, you just do it, little corrections. And that's what happens as we begin to acknowledge him in all our ways. We, oh, we had a little corrections to make, and every now and then, you know, you find yourself getting woken up by the rumble strip. That's a big correction. But most of the time, it's just little corrections, putting Jesus first. And so as each situation of life arises, you want to learn to, to consciously think, what would it mean if I put Jesus first in this situation? What would it look like? What would I do? What would I not do if, if I put Jesus first here? And you've already settled you want to. Now, maybe if we take a little bit of time here to consider what we don't, uh, when, when we don't put Jesus first, what's that like? What's it look like? And maybe that'll help us to understand. So let me, when I was growing up, 
we had leftovers often for supper, about once a week. Anybody else like that? Hey, good. I mean, to me, that was gourmet dining, okay? I don't think you guys think that, but <laughs> leftovers was a good meal. You know, mom would pull out of the fridge what we had on Monday or Tuesday, you know, and we'd have leftovers. It was always cool. I loved it. And you know what? Leftovers are so good to me. It's a, I could envision inviting you over for supper for leftovers. Now, I'd tell you ahead of time, okay, we're having leftovers tonight, but we'd love to have you over, okay? So when I think leftovers like that, I think of a good thing. But let's just see if we can't put this in a, a little bit of a different kind of light. Let's assume that, that Glenda and I invited you over for supper tonight at 6. We want you to come over to our house. Supper tonight at 6. You have, that fits your schedule. It sounds like a good idea. Sure, you'll come. All right? But what happens is at 5 o'clock, we sit down with our family and eat the meal. And when you show up at 6, we've just got up. We're moving on to different things. And I say, hey, you know what? The plates are still on the table. And there's some, there's some stuff left in the bowls. And there's some stuff left on the plates if there's not left in the bowl. And help yourself. Now, that idea of leftovers has a totally different feel, doesn't it? <laughs> That's what we do to God. We give him the leftovers. We do what we want to do or what we think we need to do, and, and we ignore his ways. And then if there's anything left over for God, we'll consider including him. Let me give you an example of this in our lives. How do you start your day? When the alarm clock goes off and you've got to go into motion, what do you do? What is it that you always say, this is important, I've got to do this. And for a lot of you, it's getting that coffee going, right? For some of you, it isn't. Uh, you're going to get dressed or take a shower or whatever, get coffee, get breakfast. You can turn on the news maybe to catch the weather, check your Facebook, your email, whatever your combination is, and then you rush out the door on the way to work or you're getting the kids ready for school or you're getting them to the kitchen table for school or whatever it is, and run, 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 run. Anybody's life look like that this week? Okay. And then you go through the rest of your day with your list of things that have to be done and, and you, things you have to do at work and things you have to do in your personal life. You know, maybe you got to go shopping, work on the house or yard. Maybe you get to catch a little television and then it's time to go to bed so you can do it all again tomorrow. I mean, life is busy, isn't it? Life is busy for most of us. The question, where does the Lord fit into all of this? Where does he fit? Does he fit? Will you spend some on-purpose time with God by reading your Bible without rushing, talking with God about the things that you're reading or the things that you need or the things that he brings to mind? Well, I do if I have time to fit it in. I mean, you'd like to, right? But it's hard to find time. Do you agree it's hard to find time? Well, see, that's the problem. You're giving God your leftovers. If I have any time left over, God, I'll give it to you. You see, if you're trying to find time for God or you're trying to 
fit God in, you're giving him your leftovers. If you have some time left over somewhere, you're going to toss it to God, kind of like you'd toss a scrap from the table to the dog. Oh, yeah. Well, how do leftovers jive with that in all things he might have the preeminence? They don't, do they? So when it comes to your day, have you relegated God to leftovers? Let's ask a few more questions about giving God our leftovers. Do you just attend church when you don't have anything else going? Yeah, I don't have anything else going this week. I can go to church. <laughs> are you giving God your leftovers or are you putting Jesus first? How about with your money? Is God getting the leftovers? When it comes to your money, you need to start with God before you figure out how you're going to do anything else. You start with God and whatever it is he's wanting you to do, you do that. You're not doing what Walt wants to do with your money. You don't want to do what God wants you to do with your money. But you start there, and then you put him first, and then you figure out how to do everything else. You don't give him your leftovers. You give him your firsts. Because remember, if he's not in first, it doesn't matter where you put him. How about ministering to other people? How about your church relationships and, and, and participation with other believers and, and living your life out with each other? You know, you've got to figure out how to put Jesus first in this, not giving him your leftovers. And, and then you need to ask these same questions about your priorities, your relationships, your family, your possessions, career, location, recreation, future, plans. And all these things, is God getting the leftovers in your life? Or are you consciously and purposefully putting Jesus first? It's a different way of living, isn't it? It's not what will happen if you just let things happen. It requires that conscious choice on your part. So this is what you need to do. Think about putting Jesus first in each area of life. Think about that and then make the best decision you know how. You may not always get it right, but you're really serious about this and you're doing it. God will honor this approach to life. And the good news is it will keep you away from the deceptiveness and destructiveness of sin that we talked about when you're thinking about putting Jesus first and doing it. It will also keep those good things in your life from becoming bad things in your life because Jesus is first. You've already settled that issue. And like I said, don't worry about getting it perfect. Just keep working on it. You'll grow in it. You'll do better. And every time you realize you're giving the Lord your leftovers, address it like we're talking about and give him the preeminence in all things. So this morning, in what ways are you giving God your leftovers? What needs to change today if you're going to really Put Jesus first. For some of you, it may be the decision I talked about earlier. Receiving Christ as Savior, letting him qualify you with his qualifications for eternal life. So all of you, will you surrender yourself to the Lord this morning about these things? Will you? No more leftovers for the Lord? 
Jesus comes first in everything. That's what you need to determine. Jesus comes first in everything. I consciously surrender to this right now. I commit to let God change how I live by changing the way I think. And I'm going to begin putting God first in all of my ways, the best I know how. And I'm going to trust him to help me figure out everything else. What you're going to do? Let's bow our heads in prayer. I'm going to ask you for a response in just a moment, an easy response, just the raising of a hand. Because I'd like to do two things with that. One is I want you to make a conscious decision and move on it. And the other is I'd like to be able to see you so I can pray for you. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, well, God really has spoken to my heart today. He has shown me where I'm at. I want to stop giving him my leftovers. I want to start putting Jesus first. I want to do a better job of putting Jesus first. Or, or I want God to show me where I'm giving him my leftovers so I can change or on and on. If God has challenged you about this and, and now you're purposing in your heart to do something about it, would you just raise your hand right now and say, that's me, that's me. Yes, hands all over the place. Father, I thank you for how you work in our lives. Father, help us to see that when your son is first in our lives, that there is no greater life, no greater blessing, no greater satisfaction, no better way to honor you. Help us not to believe the lie that something else is going to do it for us when it isn't. And I pray for each person here, Lord, who has, you've spoken to in this way today, and if they've been encouraged and challenged, I pray that as they go from here, uh, that they'll let this govern in their lives. They'll keep working on it. And then, Father, I pray that you'll take their commitment seriously. I know you do. And you'll stir them up about it. And change us, Father, for your glory. For you are so worthy of it. Any of these folks here today, Lord, who may need to receive your son as Savior, I pray that they might talk to somebody about that or fill out one of our cards and say that they want to do that or whatever, Lord. I just pray you're working there, too. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you have loved us, brought us into relationship with you, and told us the truth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.